In 2019, a ragtag group of internet wrestling fans came together to record some silly shit. They survive now and on cocktails as soldiers of hilarity. If you can find them and you can get their schedules together, you can listen to The A-Team. La Like, no, you, you said this. You show me the podcast. <laughs> Where is the proof? Where is the proof? What episode of the podcast do I say the things on? And we will find out the answer to those questions and more, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Rogue Opinions podcast. Another time for a grapple update because lots and lots of things have happened since uh, we last gathered for a grapple update, and a lot more things are about to happen, but. Uh, I feel like fitting in revolution uh, with all the stuff that we're going to talk about now would keep us here literally all day. And I'm not alone today. The uh, The dynamic duo is back in full effect. It's me, Jim, and I'm here with Scott McLeod. Scotty. Hey. Scotty. What's up, dude? Um, good. You know, I think we spent a decent enough time apart. We had to do a Ross and Rich one, take a break. After the long week of interviews that we did, and sell our interviews, if you haven't checked them out, listen to them after this, obviously. Absolutely. And those interviews uh, are all conducted just before Pro Wrestling Magic's uh, last event that took place last week. Um, with uh, We have one with the Meadowlands Monster. We have a fantastic two-parter with Shane Fair uh, and two incredible interviews with two extremely tough rivals, Mr. Darius Carter and... Ms. Erica Lee, uh, and that's all back in the archives, so make sure to go check all of those out. Uh, but as far as this episode goes, towards the end of the podcast, we will be spoiling the fuck out of that pay-per-view. <laughs> so if you haven't seen it yet, go over on to Fight. The replay is there. It is only $9.99 uh, or whatever that costs in pounds or whatever the fuck you guys use. Uh, but we have plenty to discuss here. We're going to go swiftly and... Uh, I guess tragically through takeover vengeance day, because this happened back on Valentine's day. And as we sit here and record, it is the 4th of March. Uh, so we're going to go quickly through this. Uh, did any match really, before we talk about what happens to the women's, uh, dusty tag classic, uh, winners later on, will, uh, any of the other matches like stand out to you? Um, whether that be the North American title match, the NXT title match, the women's title match, or the men's dusty, uh, classic finals? Uh, well, I liked about this takeover is that a lot of the matches felt different from each other, where you had the, the men's stuff to cut final, which I think was match of the night, which had that feel of like the, a takeover, a classic takeover tag match that we've not had since like pre-pandemic because the tag titles haven't actually been defended on takeover since you know before, like since Portland and the start of 2020, so we kind of missed like the influence of the tag division on a takeover. And so it was nice to kind of get back to like the great tag matches that NXT can pull out. But and that had kind of the kick out fest that all people associate with NXT, even not in a bad way. Because I generally thought I wanted NXT to win so badly, but I thought 
Grizzled Young Vets were going to steal because everyone was like, oh, but they can't lose two in a row. Like, if they can, it'll make Zach Gibson even more annoying. Uh, but then, Soon! That was... Sorry. <laughs> Soon! <laughs> but he, you think in my accent, it's hard to, pin it, hard to understand. I mean, it's a wonder you can understand Zach Gibson. But the tag match was so different from the North American title match, which is more like a straight-up wrestling match, you know, with Kushida target in the arm, and so they kept it kind of the mat for the most of it. And then also you had the more psychological-based uh, uh, Pete Dunne versus Finn Balor. And I like, like the change in Finn Balor's matches since he became NXT champ. You know, he's had these matches with O'Reilly. And then this match with Dunne. And we're talking about how he's going to probably talk uh, later on about his match next week. Uh, so I'm looking at his work as, as NXT champion. So everything had that different feel. It reminds me of why I love a, a takeover. I felt bad for the, for the women's match, title match because apparently it went short because they ran through the spots that they needed to quicker than they thought they would, uh, probably because they lost a few minutes because the table, sadly, like, the weakest table in, in end table history. <laughs> I think that's why Tony Storm wants her rematch. Probably, yeah. So, like, you didn't beat me, the table beat me. <laughs> that's absolutely it. Um, but, yeah, to, to echo what you were saying, the Johnny Gargano versus Kushida match, like, really felt like a coming out party for Kushida, which is weird to say, I know, because if you're a fan of New Japan or you followed Kushida at all, like this is just sort of what Kushida does and how Kushida does it. And same with Gargano. But um, speaking of Gargano, let's just talk about it now. The single greatest series of segments in the history of (laughs) professional wrestling, the way, the Gargano way, the Gargano family, I guess, all decided to go to uh, family therapy. Uh, after Austin Theory was abducted uh, by um, Dexter Loomis uh, just before the beginning of Gargano versus Kushida. Um, and when it opens, uh, Austin Theory is just going, you lied to me. This isn't Chuck E. Cheese. And I related <laughs> to him. I related to him so heavily. Um, and then, of course, Johnny Gargano gets kicked out and he starts texting um, his thoughts to his wife. And she tries to make them sound like they're her ideas which was fantastic. And of course you had uh, Indy Hartwell just being like super like psychosexually like <laughs> into like when he, when Gargano makes her like hand over the notepad and he's like, yeah, you're going to hand that over now. You're going to hand Mrs. Indy wrestling Loomis like st- <laughs> killed me dead, killed me dead. Um, and then of course it ends with the last one where it's just Austin theory and the therapist alone. And uh, she says that she spoke to uh, Dexter Loomis earlier in the day to prepare for the, um, the, the therapy session. And he, that apparently he said that uh, he's a terrible eater, that uh, Austin Theory is a terrible eater, has awful manners, uh, always is cutting his T-shirts to show off his, uh, what, did he, what did she say, like moderate, moderately good abs or something like that? Something like that. Um, and then so he starts to cry. And he runs out of the room calling for Johnny Gargano. Gargano comes in. What did you do? What did you do to him? What did you do? And then when everyone clears out, he pays her and then takes $100 back and goes, arcade money. Hey, buddy, we're going to Chuck E. Cheese. So good. Absolutely excellent. Take me through your thoughts on what is in the running for best segments uh, in wrestling history. Oh, yeah, 100%. A lot of people don't like this this version of the way, like, the goofiness of, of Johnny Gargano at the minute, I, I love it. And this is kind of the reason why stuff like this. Like, I, well, I loved about the, the Loomis 
segment was they're just walking and how seamlessly he just sneaks up behind Stadia uh, and just he's gone. Uh, but then I know a lot of people didn't like the fact that that meant the way wasn't there, so Johnny just beat Kushida kind of cleanly. And I can see people's objection. That kind of as much as I would like to see Kushida with the title, this kind of looks like it's meaning that Lumis is going to take the title, which I'm also okay with. Because uh, I think Lumis has been due to have a, a title program for a while. But the actual face <laughs> between Indy constantly chiming in with like things with with lines that got a little bit more and more sexual as the as the segments went on, like. No, he just wants a friend. You're like, I'll be his friend with benefits. And like, good Lord, and you keep it in your pants. <laughs> and and they have revealing that she, he paid the woman off at the end. Just that she just shakes her head at him. So that, yeah, the way he describes his weekend, his three days with Loomis. Oh, we just, we always hung out. I ate a lot of cereal. We just watched cartoons. Just, you know, bros hanging out. Just two bros hanging out, broing down. So good. So good. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the uh, the met. I mean, obviously, it's like one of the best segments of all time. Um, the only thing that could beat it was over on AEW, and we will get to that in a moment. Uh, MSK versus uh, Grizzled Young Veterans uh, got a four point five from Big Dave, um, as did the main event. So, um, you know, this was uh, what some people were calling a sort of return to form for the NXT takeovers. Not that any of them have been overtly bad. It's just it seems like they've now found their footing in the current sort of setup uh, here. Um, so why don't we stick with NXT and we move over to this week's uh, edition of the NXT TV program. The, believe it or not, 35-year-old Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher took on the current reigning and defending uh, NXT Tag Team Champions of the World, Mr. One, Mr. Two, only looking Danny Burch. Um, and uh, this match was like, okay, I guess. I mean, it was up against the Shaq match. So, I mean... Like, you had to put something out there because you're both on at the same time. Um, but uh, the thing that was most uh, in- intriguing about this entire thing was that uh, Imperium came out, stood on the uh, the rampway. I mean, minus Walter. Obviously, he's still over in the UK doing his thing. Uh, but Imperium stood up on the rampway, and it distracted Timothy Thatcher. So do we have a possible, you know, reuniting of ring conf? here in NXT US, do you think? Or what do you think? I'm interested to see that, you know. I think they're maybe taking this promo because they've announced that a takeover for Mania Week, like the Thursday. You know, they SmackDown's on the Friday and they've got the two-day WrestleMania. So to the day after, like, the go-home NXT, there'll be a takeover. And I wouldn't mind, like, getting Imperium versus Champion Thatcher. I mean, that's whether to the Champion Thatcher turn and he maybe joins them again. You know, kind of similar to when Roddy joined down the street there a couple of years ago at the Mania Takeover. So I was yeah. to see where this goes. And I kind of, as, as good as this match was, it kind of sucked that the reason it had to happen was because obviously, uh, I think it's uh, Wesley of uh, the of MSK from like Dez, I think, were injured his hand and uh, legit like broke his hand, so they couldn't do like the tag team match that they wanted to do. Then because I think they wanted to do both. Uh, Does the classic winners like getting their title shot on the same night? Just I'm hoping that he'll be back for like. Uh, takeover because I think these guys could have an equally as, as good tag title match uh, tag match to what MSK had with Grizzly Young Vets because like, what was good about this match is that you know Lorcan and Birch aside from like War Games and winning the tag titles for the last couple of months they've just been at the side of Pete Dunne and so I think people forgot how good of a tag team they can be which is why they needed this match and hopefully they'll get to have uh, the match with MSK sooner than later 
Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that uh, Wesley really uh, heals up soon because uh, I, I thought I noticed something during the takeover match where like he was sort of favoring his hand a little bit. Uh, and then, of course, they did the the angle on the following uh, NXT. So, yeah, hopefully he gets back soon and they're able to uh, win the belts at the big takeover. Um, so then uh, we get a very uh, snazzy dressed, um, snazzy dressed Roderick Strong. He comes out to try and talk to Adam Cole, but obviously Finn Balor's like, that's not going to happen because, uh, you know, he's, you know, fucking he's not going to come out because you don't know how to get him to come out here. So Finn says that he'll offer him a title shot next week. So hopefully uh, that way Adam Cole will come out. Uh, Roger Strong gets in um, Finn Balor's face. They jaw jack a little bit. Finn Balor says that you need to stop being uh, a follower, start being a leader, start being more. Uh, tenacious and start. And before he can finish what he's saying, Roger Strong fucking decks him. They start to brawl a little bit. That leads into a match later on. Yeah. So, what do you think of this segment overall? Though, like, uh, is is Roger Strong doing anything for you at this point, or is he just sort of there? He didn't really do anything for me in this like promo segment because I don't think Roddy's been the strongest of the undisputed era in terms of promos. You know, the match later on was good. But, you know, the promo was kind of there. It's set up what it needed to for later on. I really wish Finn Balor would stop holding the microphone the way he does. Like he's, trying to, like he's about to spit bars. Like he's holding it like a weird 90 degree like angle. Maybe it's because of his jaw or whatever, but he just holds it aside. And it doesn't look right for him, especially when you hear him talk like that with, the, with how thick his Irish accent is. You think he puts that on at all? Like, do you think he, like, maybe his Irish accent's a little, like, less pronounced, but he, like, throws it up a little bit more just to see, just to see, like, how, like, fucked up he can make it? I think if the Irish are anything like the Scottish, the Scottish, I think if he's trying to act like he's angry about something, and his accent becomes thicker because I found that the angrier I get with some of the thicker my accent gets, I think you guys might have found that out uh, whenever I've went on a bit of a rant on this podcast. And for the most recent rant, make sure to go back and check out some of the tournaments we've done recently because he's still not happy, folks. He is still not happy. Um, Okay, so I need my warm milk. I need my warm milk. (laughs) Well, it's it's all right. It's on the kettle. It'll be it'll be ready any minute. Um, Next, we're going to talk about what some people are referring to as the uh, Capital Wrestling Center screw job, the uh, women's tag team championship match between. Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. This match was okay, I guess. And then, of course, the big finish um, was that um, the referee had gotten knocked down by an overzealous uh, Raquel Gonzalez. Uh, her and Nia wrestled to the outside. They go over the announce table, and then Adam Pierce comes out. Yes, that Adam Pierce. He comes out and sends out a raw referee uh, who then. Uh, checks on Dakota Kai, who is in the Carafuda clutch. Uh, and because she is out, the referee calls for the bell and Baszler and Nia Jax retain. Um, uh, you said to me off air, uh, just before we got started recording that you have some thoughts about this. I, I have some thoughts on this as well, but I am very intrigued to hear what your thoughts are on, uh, the, the CWC screw job. This as a match sucked. <laughs> It's the big one because I see why the I wanted Raquel and Dakota to win. I thought they were the most established team NXT's had like literally like a year 
ago at the last February takeover, they became a thing. So it meant, made sense they would win at Vengeance Day. And, you know, that whole match was all about making Raquel look dominant when they beat Ember and Shotzi. And then you come here and you've got Shayna tweeting out about you know, her history with Dakota when Dakota was scared of her. So this was a great thought, like, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Dakota can show Shayna how she's developed. And you have the big horse fight in the women's division between Naya and Raquel and everything. And they've done so much to give, make Raquel seem like a big deal. And she got the win for her team at War Games. They did next to nothing to make these two look like a threat compared to Shayna and Naya. Like, Dakota got easily manhandled for the majority of the match. You know, so you got worked over by Shayna. She still looks scared of her. You know, Raquel comes in, gets a bit of a hot tag. Then is easily disposed of by Naya. Then they do the big tumble over the announce table. And then they do the, the screwy finish because, like, Dakota is not the legal person, but the referee somehow didn't. This is a new referee, so he doesn't know that. And everything that happened. I don't know what Ian Pierce was doing there. And also, this is now leading to a big announcement that Ryan Weagle's going to make next week. I don't know what that is. Somebody on Twitter said, oh, maybe NXT will get their own women's tag titles. I don't think we need to add another title to WWE right now, whether it's on NXT or not. We just we just don't. We don't have the room for them. Like We have a cupboard full of title belts in WWE, and it's bursting at the seams as it is. Just stop it. Uh, just as a match, this did nothing for Raquel and Dakota, I don't think. And uh, when did when did Shayna and I go from the team that can't get along to suddenly the most dominant team in all of WWE because they, they came together, they couldn't get along, but they won the tag titles anyway. They thought they're eventually going to implode. They lose, they suddenly become friends to their hobby, their shared hobby of bullying Lana. Lose to Asuka and Asuka and Charlotte, start arguing again, but then win the tag titles back. And now they're just beating everybody. Like They've got one of the best win records over the last month of any tag team. You know, they beat Charlotte and Asuka again on Raw. They beat Sasha and Bianca. And oh, and one of the worst finishes I've seen in a while. And then they have this. Like, I really thought if you wanted to make the Women's Dusty Cup like, mean something, the winners should win the titles because it's about time we had an XT team win the titles. I didn't. Maybe a couple weeks down the line when we see what this finish is meant to lead to, it'll be something big for Dakota and Raquel because they need it because they two did not come out of this with anything. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with everything that you said. It's it, the entirety of the time that the women's tag titles have been around. They've been defended in NXT, what, two, three times? Um, yeah, and like they always, they, every time they go down, they at least give them something so that they eventually it seems like heartbreaking when they lose because like, Tegan and Shotzi got something. Tegan and Dakota, when they faced the Caribbean Warriors, at least got something. Whereas Sheena just batters uh, Dakota for ages. Raquel comes in and they get easily just clotheslined over the top by Naya after they do the big stare down. It's like, Raquel's big, but someone bigger is here now. You know? And somehow, like, I think Raquel's been doing it for less time than, than Naya has, but somehow looks more competent than she does. A fucking. Uh, uh, like a lab monkey would look more fucking confident and competent in the ring than fucking Nia Jax does most of the time. Like this just felt like, you remember how you felt when it was Cody Rhodes versus the big show. Um, (laughs) and uh, Cody won the match because big show, like stepped through a table. Mm -hmm. That's how this entire match felt. It felt like a, like a, like a wet fart in a warm elevator. Like it just, 
it just didn't fucking like it didn't it made Raquel and Dakota possibly like the two most like two of the, not only two of the best not two of the best women in the division but like the two like the the best team that they've pr- been able to produce and yeah it was heel versus heel and stuff like that but like this should have been Raquel and Dakota's time give them some time to defend the titles around I'm not saying put them on WrestleMania or anything. Have them go up to Raw and SmackDown. Have them lose the belts, you know, in a in a couple of months or two. But just make it so it, you didn't lie to us again by saying that oh the belts can be defended anywhere at any time and stuff. It's like no, they don't though. They don't. They bounce around the same because they got rid of. They sp- either split up or just f- flat out got rid of most of the actual women's tag teams. Um, mm-hmm. and it makes. No sense. It makes absolutely no sense that you would they would still have these titles, and there's legitimately three teams. Four, they they introduced these belts. They introduced these belts in 2019. They've done one defense in NXT a year just to remind you that it could happen. Because you had Asuka, Kabuki Warriors, the Kabuki Warriors in 2019, uh, Bailey and Sasha last year against Tegan and Shotzi, and then you had this year. It's like. Yeah, it's about time we had an NXT team win because, like, I, I, maybe I wouldn't be as mad at this if we had, like, Ember and Shotzi face them or Casey and uh, Gavin Carter. It's not because I like these team, those teams less. It's that they're both face teams and they're, like, made of two smaller competitors. And so this, this kind of domination would have made more sense because you're waiting for that big babyface comeback. Whereas Dakota, like you said, are he- and Raquel are heels and much like Shane and now uh, they're made of a small competitor who's kind of technical and, like, hits hard and, like, uh, powerhouse. So this could have been, like, an even-up match, but it was not even in the slightest. Can we talk about the Elimination Chamber title defense for a second? Sure, yeah. I was actually intrigued to see what happened, because I, I did a previous stream with ESSR, and I even said to them, like, this is the most interested in the women's tag titles I've been in a while, because, yeah, this match, you knew that the winners of that were going to face... Raquel and Dakota. Apparently, Lana and Naomi still have a title shot at some point. Who cares about this? About Lana, but I thought, oh, this could be interesting. Also, you know, the whole thing of Sasha and Bianca. We do a million miles away that these two were going to be the opponents at WrestleMania before they confirmed it. So I thought them two win the titles and lead up to Mania could actually be an interesting way of progressing the story. But then Reginald comes down, and as much as I love him, he shouldn't have been there. He throws in a, a champagne bottle for Sasha to use. And she doesn't, and then she gets caught. And then Naya runs up behind her and nudges into her. Like, her side bit of big contact with Atlas, with Sasha, and Sasha had to take a bump. And then she hit one of the shittest-looking Simone drops I've ever seen. And that was it. Naya pins the SmackDown Women's Champion, which I don't, I'm not happy about because I don't want Naya to be anywhere near the SmackDown Women's title, or any women's title for that matter. Because, mm-hmm. like, see, you had, like, I don't know, 2020 hindsight, all fans can, a lot of smart fans think they can book it better, but, like, how much more interesting would it be? Sasha and Bianca win here, and then they go to NXT, they can't get along, so they lose to Raquel and, uh, Raquel and Dakota. Then you have, like, some sort of multi woman match at Fastlane, they lose again, and then that, that can help further the story, too, for them going into into WrestleMania and it makes the women's titles more interesting because all these teams from different brands are going after them because like see what you all about Shane McMahon and, and Miz them actually being tag champs actually helped 
fill the gap leading up to their feud because you had two pay-per-views and they looked to WrestleMania so they could be in tag team matches on both of them and then they started their feud. Whereas here, it really did nothing for Sasha and Bianca to just randomly lose to Shane and Nia. Yeah, no, it, it definitely didn't. Um, where's I, that milk? It it definitely <laughs> where's that milk? Uh, it's it, it definitely made them look sort of like geeks, like just like dopes. Like a, a Raquel gets gets made unconscious unconscious by falling over a table, and then mm-hmm. Dakota just gets her ass kicked by Shayna Baszler again, uh, and then Adam Pierce comes out. Uh, sends a raw referee down, which come on, like, what? Why? Why? Like, and what is the point? Like, I, mean, I get. Are we supposed to believe that they weren't sitting in the back right before they went out in front of a monitor, and that they don't? This referee and Ampere weren't aware of the blind tag. I just, I just don't know, dude. I, it's like, I like having questions in my wrestling, but like. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, this this just felt like th- they had two minutes to finish their homework right before class started, <laughs> and it was just not good. But um, I guess we'll see where it goes. Anyway, um, so we move on uh, swiftly, um, or we swerve over sw- uh, swiftly to the studio where Isaiah Swerve Scott uh, cuts a promo pre a pre tape promo that I thought was pretty good. Uh, it was cool to see some uh, some character work out of him where he described. Uh, that Leon Ruff got like all the opportunities and he doesn't deserve them. And like uh, Isaiah sort of Scott doesn't a- ever get any uh, opportunities, you know, forgetting that he got, you know, like, I don't know, three cruiserweight title matches. Um, but anyway, he says he no longer cares. So, you know, Isaiah sort of Scott full on heel, boo, boo, boo. Uh, then you get uh, LA Knight uh, coming out with the old SmackDown live graphic, but it's his name instead of, <laughs> That I, am I the only person who noticed this? Because I've listened to a couple podcasts today, and nobody has mentioned the font for LA Knight. It looks like you mentioned it. Huh? You mentioned it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks so bad. Um, and he says the same thing. You know, he's last of dying breed. Blah 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 blah. Uh, and then Cameron Grimes took on uh Bronson Reed one on one, and of course LA Knight came back out. Um. Actually, it's funny. The uh, William Regal finds Cameron Grimes backstage, uh, and uh, like earlier in the night, and he's just back there trying to like change the name of the arena. And the poor like production guy is like, "Oh, is that been cleared?" And he's just like, "Don't don't worry about it. It'll get cleared. Don't worry about. It. I'm Cameron Grimes." Uh, and um, Grimes then gets like pulled away by William Regal and told that he has to face uh, Bronson Reed. The match is not going according to plan. I think Cameron Grimes is one of my favorite wrestlers at this point right now. The million dollar man, the million dollar like hillbilly thing is like killing me. And I absolutely love it. Do you love Cameron Grimes just as much as I do? Uh, totally. Like the new, like they had that weird music video for him at, at Vengeance Day as well. Uh, that, amazing, every now and then. Uh, that amazing music video, first of all, yeah. sir. <laughs> With him like chaining every so I'm just going to the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love like when Brian Beagle walks away just sort of, like, wouldn't it be easier for me to give you some money? Uh and so like I like the idea of him trying to just bribe people to get what he wants and I'm intrigued by this uh LA Knight thing, is he just helping because 
he doesn't like Bronson Reed or does he want to work with with uh, Cameron Grimes? I don't know what this is going to lead to because Bronson Reed didn't do anything to LA Knight. He just happened to come out because his match was scheduled and LA Knight was still in the ring. So, you know, feuds have been, wars have been started over less, I guess. But, you know, I'm looking forward to see what happens with LA Knight because I was a fan of, of Eli Drake and like, all the stuff he said about, oh, I don't come with all that flips and that. Like, I've heard Eli Drake talk about that before. Like, he's he's very fond of, like, just telling a story and, like, character work. And so, I, I, I think he'll be more of a, a Finn Balor-style, like, wrestling match than, like, some of the other guys, like, yeah, Johnny Gargano or someone like that. So, I'm mean, just see what he does. You know, I think he's definitely somebody who will be in, like, the, the main event picture, like, very soon. Yeah, I mean, because he's, I think he's, like, in his, like, late 30s or something. So, you got to, like... Yeah, so you gotta like pull the trigger on this guy like as soon as possible. Um, I, I mean, I wasn't very like I I obviously knew of, of Eli Drake when he was in Impact and stuff. I saw like a thing or two here or there, but I never really paid too much attention. Is a lot of this sort of a rehash of what he was doing over there, or is like a lot of this new? Like, what's the the difference here between LA Knight and Eli? I think a lot. I think it's a very similar style. He has that same style that he's been using for a while now, and a lot of people like are into it. It's just right at the moment also he's, the difference is like, he's got a name the fact of life thing that was a that was a thing he's been using for a long time. You know, he used to he used to have a lot more different like catchphrases that he'd use in NWA impact but he's not used them maybe because he's wanting to try and get over LA Knight or something different but he's keeping the facts of life thing. So it's you know a little bit diff- a little bit uh, the same but he's dropped a few things that he used to use and he's trying some other stuff. That was that was a not an answer at all. I apologize. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Grimes ended up getting uh, the the pinfall over Reed thanks to LA Knight uh, and the cave in. So you know, Cameron Grimes finds his way to the moon. <laughs> um, so then you know we had uh, Legata del Fantasma uh, attacking uh, Brizango uh, before the match with Everrise, um, and you know that was just like a thing. But then. Uh, Finn Balor and Roderick Strong, who again, the the style in that promo earlier, like the fancy, the the smart button down short sleeve shirt, the green pants, style icon Roderick Strong. Not exactly <laughs> a particularly interesting character or a particularly um, good like interesting promo, uh, but this whole thing has a bunch of story implications because of the breakup of the Undisputed Era. Roderick Strong came out to his old music with his old gear. So, you know, RIP F's in the chat, ladies and gentlemen, for the undisputed era. It is over, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but the match that, uh, Finn Balor and Roderick strong had was awesome. It was really, really good. It was non-title as far as I remember. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, while, um, uh, Balor ends up catching, um, uh, strong with the coup de gras and the 1916 for the victory. Uh, Adam Cole stared down the NXT champion from the stage as we went off the air. What did you think of this? Uh, fa- I mean, frankly, it was always going to be very, very good because Strong is a very good wrestler, as is Finn Balor. Or in the words of Edge, he is, quote, operating on a different level. And that was, again, on display here. So what did you think of uh, Balor and Strong? Yeah, it was very good, you know. This again, working that summer style that Bell has been working recently since he started his NXT title run and Strong fit in very well with that. Because Strong's a very hard to guy, and also he does the, the spots where like, he runs across like different sides of the ring and elbows you in the face, and also you, you pay more attention to that when it's on someone like Bell because also we know about his 
like broken jaw and things like that. I'm intrigued to see what happens with Strong going forward because he's not the most interesting on his own. And like I know the main story coming in, this is probably going to be between Cole and O'Reilly. And I feel like he's going to be like left at the side of everything and to be kind of forced to kind of start from the bottom again because you know he was okay when he feud with Bobby Roode before he joined the era. But everybody, I think everybody can agree that him joining the Undisputed Era was the the best thing for him. Uh, like, and also he's not had a big singles match I don't think since he fought Loomis at the Great American Bash so it's nice to see him and Ali a big time singles match against the, the NXT champion uh, I'm looking forward to Cole versus Balor next week because we've got that and EO versus Tony Storm uh, which I'm assuming that because next week will be the fallout show from Revolution they want to put together like a big episode NXT kind of draw people in for next week which, but I just thought it was weird that they were having those matches on free TV when we've already been announced that there is going to be a Mania Week like takeover where those matches could easily have happened. So I'm assuming that maybe Cole will win next week and maybe they'll try and add O'Reilly and maybe have a triple threat with Balor and O'Reilly and Cole at, May- at Mania Takeover. I'm just like speculating, but it's kind of sad to see Undisputed Era end this way. Because, you know, like, I know a lot of people say like, oh, they would have been ruined on the main roster and anything, but like, I just wanted to see what that would have looked like. I really believe in my heart. And I don't know if I've probably said this about other people in the past who it didn't end up with. I really think they could have been one of those acts that doesn't like get ruined by the main roster. I wanted to see them have a run on the main roster, win all the goals on Raw or SmackDown or something like that. And just the idea that one might we'll never have that uh, is a little bit sad to me because uh, there was a meme that made both laugh and cry where it was like all the toys sitting on the porch when Andy leaves at the end of Toy Story 3. And next to each toy was like different highlights from the Undisputed Era's career. And the best one is on one of the toys that said that one week that Bobby Fish wasn't injured. Yeah. He did spend a lot of time injured. He always gets injured in war games, and then he's out for like four or five months at a time. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what happens when he comes back. Like, I, I can see them maybe trying to just like pull like a swerve where he comes back to help O'Reilly and then immediately turns on him. He like maybe sides with, sides with Cole so he can get Fish and Cole against O'Reilly and Strong maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm down to see whatever goes on uh, with the Undisputed Era stuff. I've always been a big fan of them and uh, everything that they've done, pretty much the Golden Prophecy stuff and, uh, you know, the Adam Cole reign of terror that he was on with the title for a year. Um, Yeah, it's it's all good stuff. And, you know, with the Mania takeover coming, you got to think that they're trying to maybe even next week wrap up the stuff that they've already been doing so that they can mm-hmm. like swiftly move into uh, whatever their mania week plans are. Um, so we move over. Do you, do you think, sorry, just for your thoughts, do you think like Undisputed Air would have like been able to the trend of like main roster cults? Cause I was, I did a show on SSR a few weeks back where we were doing like Mount Rushmore, a men's Mount Rushmore, a woman's Mount Rushmore of NXT. And I was talking about why Kevin Owens should have been on it. And I think he did go on it in the end, but I said that I think Kevin Owens is the, one of the last people I can actually remember being bucking the trend of the NXT call-up, because while there may have been angles that he's in that people don't agree with, like the thing with Goldberg, Kevin Owens has been one of the most consistent people who's went from NXT to the main roster. Cause like, you look at his first two years, he was constantly in some sort of title program, where he went up in the US thing with John Cena, was in the IC title for like half a year, defended at WrestleMania, stuff with Sammy, Universal Champion, the US Champion, and Daniel Bryan's return program. So, like, 
Kevin Owens is always around. Uh, I can't think of anybody since Owens that had that as good a transition from NXT to the main roster. Um, I don't think the the undisputed era would have been um like Kevin Owens level of mm-hmm. of good because they're smaller guys on the main roster. Vince would have gotten bored with them fairly quickly. I think uh, Adam Cole probably his best chance to do something on the main roster would have been if they didn't split the undisputed era up, but I get them wanting to do it because Bobby fish is still injured. They don't want to have him come back as a singles. So, you know, maybe the other, uh, him and Kyle O'Reilly. I mean, there's a lot of stuff up in the air at the moment with them. So, um, we'll just have to, I mean, it's going to suck that we may not get that sort of run, but I mean, we've seen also that the main roster doesn't really tend to give too much of a shit about the continuity in NXT because right in the middle of the biggest feud in NXT in like in NXT history to that point, Tommaso Ciampa and Gar- Gargano got called up for like six weeks <laughs> as a tag yeah. team. So who cares? You know, like um, yeah, they had like apparently all the stories that NXT writers and main roster writers going back and forth on a uh, on Charlotte Flair. And which is why our NXT women's stairway wasn't really what it should have been like because like the red NXT people who create people who said that we should have just won at WrestleMania in the first place. So yeah, I agree there is that disconnect because I think Cole is one of the, the the one out of the four who have been fine on the main roster regardless if he was singles or a uh, part of the group. Whereas I think the rest of them needed to go up and be introduced as part of the group. Uh, I mean. I, again, I don't, I don't really think because Adam Cole didn't Adam Cole say something like that he is like he is the undisputed era. It's like it's him, like he, like it was never really about anyone else. It was just about him, and he only wants the NXT title and this, that, and the other thing. So I'm just curious to see if he ends up leaving. Maybe, maybe he's like just legit on his way out, and he's going to go to AEW or what have you to go be with his girlfriend or whatever. So. I don't know. I'm enjoying what's going on now and I'm trying to uh, I heard somebody explain uh, that NXT for a little while was sort of like when you hang out with that relative in the hospital and you have a good time with them but you know that at some point they're going to move on and not be alive any longer. Um, That's what NXT sort of what like it's very good most of the time but you know that they're on a clock and once that clock runs out they go to the main roster and become ricochet or Apollo Crews, or any number of people who have just been sort of, you know, slapped down um, into nothingness. And that sort of seems to be the exercise on the main roster, is that they take people that were either good in XT or good on the indies, they get up there, and nothing. You know, so... Jesus, that's not a bleak example at all. Fuck me, Jimmy. Good. I, I'm not yeah. the one who made hey, it up. NXT people are like the... That's person you go visit in the hospital, you know, is going to die. I mean, Jesus Christ. That's, I mean, it's just what I heard the one time, and it actually makes a hell of a lot of sense. Um, so NXT this week was fun. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was a good yeah. episode. It was pretty good. Um, but then over on AEW Dynamite from Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, we had quite the episode. The uh, They call it uh, The Crossroads. It was the prelude to Revolution this weekend. Sunday, March 7th, on pay-per-view. And we open up the show with Shaquille O'Neal and Jade Cargill versus Cody Rhodes and uh, Red Velvet. And 
wow, was I sort of blown away by how entertaining this match was. I was not expecting to like it as much. I was expecting it to be kind of crap. And it was just entertaining. Uh, It was just flat out entertaining. It felt like a, like a fun celebrity WrestleMania match or something, you know, because uh, Shaq had his working boots on. He was there chopping the hell out of Cody. Cody uh, picked him up and uh, scoop slammed him. And, um, Cody ended up uh, diving up over the rope and uh, put him and Shaq um, uh, through some tables on the outside. Jade Cargill was better than I thought she was going to be, even though you could sort of see that Red Velvet was sort of uh, coaching her through. But yeah, I just loved so much about this match and this show overall that like th- this was just a lot, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and uh, I mean, Shaq is 48. Uh, and he looks to still be in fantastic shape. He doesn't move exactly as well as you would hope, but that's from destroying his legs playing basketball for 20 years or whatever. So um, overall, I think this this match sort of just over-delivered. What did you think? I wasn't sure what you think of it going into it because I still don't know why it was happening. Like, Jake Cargill just shows up one week uh, after, like, after like Cody loses the TNG title, says that, Oh yeah, well I'm bringing in Shaq to fight you, and you're like, why? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then we wait ages for Shaq to eventually come to AW. You know, he basically he says that like, one week to Brandy, you should take some tips from Jade, who I honestly she should because in just one match, I find Jade more entertaining as a wrestler than Brandy. I'm sorry, I'm just not a fan of her. And then Brandy just throws water in his face because like she is the Stephanie of, of AEW because one minute she's a nice. When my wife of Cody, then like, hey, I'm going to stand by Cody. But don't think of me just as Cody's wife. And I'm friends with Red Velvet. But now Shaq said something that's annoying, hurtful, but true. So I'm going to throw water over him for, which actually makes me look like a bigger dick. So I'm kind of glad that Red Velvet was in her place. Uh, and I remember, like, and this is kind of sound harsh, but like, I've seen some of Red Velvet stuff on Dark. I didn't realize how short she was. Because then I saw her standing to Cody and I thought, geez. Jesus Christ, what are you, what's she going to look like standing next to Shaq? Because yeah. <laughs> Cody is not the tallest guy. Like, I think he's around about six foot, like Shaq. Good Lord, he dwarfs anybody, but he's towering over this poor woman. And he come, Shaq comes out, and I know there's all these like memes out there, like weird facial expressions that Shaq's pulled, but Shaq came out as if someone just got him out of his bed five minutes before AEW went on air, and he had to get out of bed to come do this match. Because he looked good in the match, you know, the table bump was great. Oh, it did take a while for them to set the tables up. But, you know, hell of an effort. The Nightmare family in general, I think, are dicks. Because Austin Gunn just, uh, just hits Shaq for no reason from behind the barricade. And then, so I was kind of cheering for Shaq when he just dragged him over the barricade <laughs> and just started beating the fuck out of him on the outside. Yeah, like, what, what the fuck was up with that? Like, why, like, what has Shaq really done to the Nightmare family? He was just like, Cody, I want to wrestle you. Uh, what did he call him? Cupcake Cody or whatever? Cody Cupcake ooh, or something like that. Ooh, ooh, so hard. Burn. Such a burn. Let's get some aloe for that burn. Ooh. Maybe there's there bigger, bigger things to take shot at than Cody. One of them was right there on his neck. I uh, don't hate the neck tattoo. He gets so much shit for the neck tattoo. Yeah, it's dumb, but like, he's a grown man. He made it, He made a decision. Good for him. Like, 
I've been saying that Aaron Anderson's a dick for, for months, like for, since he pushed Lance Archer off the top row, but double or nothing with no provocation. It just runs through the nightmare family, just hitting people for no reason. Honestly, our souls a lot of them. I'm glad Jason Shack won, but because uh, I see a big upside in, in Jade Cargo, and I know a lot of people in AW apparently do as well. Like, because she's like, she like really like jacked. Like, I wish she was in the the fish. I was randomly thinking, like, I wonder if she could be like the female Scott Steiner for them, just without the crazy promos. I thought about this one before we started recording. There's a bit with Shaq in the ambulance. You know, to quote she meant man, which way did he go? Which way did he go? <laughs> He's like, how do, you miss, how do you lose somebody of Shaq's size? Uh, maybe maybe Tony just wasn't paying attention. I have no idea. But I mean, Red Velvet and Jade Cargill, um, they, they, they showed in this match, which I was sort of hoping for, was that like Jade and uh, Red Velvet were really going to like shine here. And they absolutely did. Um, I think Jade needs to stop taunting as much. I get playing to the crowd and everything, but it was like she would like do a hip toss and then do like six poses for like the entirety of the time. It's just like move, keep it moving. Like you can stop and taunt, but like wait until you maybe you do something that's like necessary. Uh, Red Velvet had a lot of fire here. She really stepped up. Um, yeah, I, I like JR. I, sorry. No, go ahead. I like JR's reaction to, like, the announced, uh, uh, sorry, the announced Red Velvet as being straight out of your mama's kitchen. And JR's like, that's my favorite hometown ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a laugh at that. And so the way you talked about, like, Cody, uh, Tony not being attention, I just imagine Tony Shavani going backstage and getting yelled at by, like, Tony kind of like, where did, how did Chet get out? Tony, you were supposed to be watching him. <laughs> Tony, you had one job tonight. One. Uh, yeah, so, I mean... You have two overall, jobs. You yell, you yell about Sting, and you watch Shaq. And you couldn't you could even do the second one. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. We'll get to Sting in a sec. Um, so, uh, th- yeah, this was great. And, uh, you know, there were nitpicky things, about, like the tables and a couple of the taunting things and just little things like that. But honestly, this was so much fucking fun to watch that I just... I couldn't, I couldn't have been happier watching it um the first 90 minutes of the show were like really spectacular but they they didn't give anything a chance to breathe um but we'll get into more of that in a minute um next up we had 67 year old tully blanchard and ftr taking on jurassic express uh blanchard started the match with marco stunt they come out with the old nwa titles uh like the um the was it the u.s title and then like the tag belts um he had the coat on James J. Dillon came out from catering, um, and he he was looking fantastic uh, on this show. He even used the shoe. Um, uh, he even he uh, Tully Blanchard even fucking like it was just insane. He he teased doing a tope at one point and then like strutted away from it. Like good on you, Tully. I mean, he looked great. He moved. So good for a man in his 60s uh, for this match. Um, yeah, I mean, there's another. This is like maybe my favorite six-man tag in like a very, very long time. Um, I, it was great. And then at the end of the match, you get um, James J. Dillon and Tully and Arn Anderson doing the four horsemen salute. Uh, Sean Spears is back uh, as well with a ridiculous blonde mohawk. 
Um, not the right choice, Mr. Spears. Not the right choice. Uh, but yeah, what did you think? I mean, I thought this again, this match was um, very, very fun. Tully didn't overstay his welcome, and he pinned Luchasaurus. So, like, I'm in. I'm in on this match as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, so what did you think of this incredible six-man tag? I mean, who uses a shoe? Honestly. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly. Who throws a shoe? You can put somebody's eye out. <laughs> I liked how, like, like, they mentioned, oh, the US title, like, oh, this is the same design that he, or the US title he defended against Magnum T8, Starcade 85, and, you know, for all the history buffs out there. And, I like the the weird like choice of gear that he was wearing. He looked like he was the gear you he wears to go bowling. Like he's a retired <laughs> man in Florida, he just wants to go bowling, and you're forcing him into the six man tag. Just let the man go bowling. And like yeah, he took the the tail whip from Luchasaurus. He got Marco Stunt thrown on top of him, uh, which is probably the smartest one to do because he's the lightest of the all three of them. And I was hesitant because you know there's a lot of plaque being thrown a bit like of Goldberg and Undertaker being around in WWE, but then. Tully Blanche is older than both of them, and he's in a match with that. I felt like, well, he's been using that six-man tag. He's, he's going to be used sparingly. And also, he's like the heel manager of the team that Jurassic Express has been treating with. So it makes sense why the way he was being used. But yeah, the fact that he helped like do the like the double version of the, uh, sorry, the triple version of like the assisted pile driver with the help of Sean Spears, who uh, I'd forgotten was around. I, I didn't miss him at all. Like, I forgot it's, he... It's funny that you like, say I, that... Okay. It's funny. It's funny that you say that because the uh, the run the website I'm using for the rundown. This is exactly how this reads. Also, Sean Spears is back. Period. That's something that happened. <laughs> yeah, because well, actually, I haven't actually been able to watch a lot of AEW before this week uh, because well, I've I've not had a lot of time, so it's kind of fallen by the wayside. So it may have affected my like like uh, anticipation for Revolution uh, this Sunday. I'm still going to watch it, but like I I wasn't. Uh, that, but I knew most of what was going on, but I didn't realize that Sean Spears had disappeared from TV. So this meant nothing to me when he popped up. So also the fact that I've thrown out the four, like you got Sean Spears and FTR. That's technically three. Who who's your fourth? Like is Tully going to be the fourth? I don't. I doubt it. Because like I've seen people like uh, joking in the past. Like wasn't there technically five of them? Because you had four guys and a manager. That was the five horsemen. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, listen, this this whole thing. I mean, first two segments back to back, fantastic, and then, of course, um, because they didn't know how to let segments just end uh, on their own. Tony Schiavone standing on the uh, the rampway. He's oh, about to enter. Inter- he was about we to. Just, like, we just we yeah we just like we have JJ and try to get like another word in, and then just we Tony goes, you don't get paid extra for that, like. That just feels so like Tony wasn't like JJ wasn't made to do anything, and Tony just legit just like, like basically like go away. I'm trying to do my next segment. Yeah, that's exactly what it looked like because he he comes up and um, Tony is starting his like his the start of his segment with uh, Paul White, and he mentions that something was super entertaining or something, and JJ like pops his head in and says something to the effect of, "Well, it won't be more entertaining than what you just saw in that ring right there." And Tony Schiavone just goes, you know, you don't get paid extra for saying that, right? Like, I'm just saying. <laughs> and the crowd in attendance was like, oh, world star. Hey, 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 Cody. Hey, Cody, that's a sick burn. 
Yeah, for real. No, Jesus. Cody Cupcake, you know, fuck. Cody Cupcake, baby. Um, so uh, then, of course, we get the official first appearance of um, the uh, the former Big Show. No more BS, though, as it said on his, his T-shirt and his Tron. Uh, it is Paul White. Uh, and they're ta- they're there to talk about AEW Dark Elevation, something that I'm sure all of us are looking forward to significantly, and that we will all be watching. Um, we won't. Um, but then Paul White mis- mistakenly calls Revolution Evolution, and uh, which is like the most Paul White thing. Um, and then um, he mentions that they're going to be uh, signing of a. a Hall of Fame-worthy talent that's going to dramatically help AEW moving forward. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, another mystery that we got going on, uh, going into Revolution. There's um, the six-person the ladder match we don't know of. Uh, apparently, there's a mystery team in the uh, the Casino Battle Royale. Yeah, well, according to Wikipedia, the always reliable source of information that has, like, 14 teams plus a TBA and, like, but if it's 14 teams, not enough. You have to have, you have to get 15, and that makes it all around an even 30 people in this match, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so then he, he says that, you know, he's got the scoop on it, and they're going to sign somebody the night of the pay-per-view. So, um, I mean, I guess quickly, who do you think it could be? Because I'm trying to think, he said they, can, they have a lot to offer to AEW, and it depends what your definition of a lot to offer means, because clearly they think Sting has a lot to offer. And I would disagree. Uh, <laughs> you catty bitch. <laughs> you oh. catty bitch. Get your goddamn milk. Get your milk. <laughs> I, I'm not even. I'm not even a, sorry about that. Like I don't care. <laughs> but like, what was I was gonna say. Oh yeah, I I said I've said it was friends and uh, a different group chat that as a joke I said oh it's gonna be Batista. Because he said evolution, and also he said Hall of Fame level. So I feel like maybe somebody's not actually in the Hall of Fame, but should be. Uh, and like Batista should be in the Hall of Fame by now because he's made one last year. And then I actually started thinking about like, I'm pretty sure his Instagram, his last tweet was like getting a new tattoo, and he's in Florida. So part of me is like, is it Batista? Because legit, I can't think of anybody. I've seen the the best other person I could see it being. Even though, given his connections to WWE, you probably end up signing with them a new deal. But uh, someone said Christian showing up in AEW, which I wouldn't be against. I think he could actually add something to there, especially if he's been clear to wrestle. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I mean, that I mean that would be interesting as hell. I I heard uh, speculation that it, like it could be like Okada or something, uh, someone that's not usually you know, around in the States or whatever, never really got that big, big, you know, run in the States. Um, but I mean, I'm interested to see whoever it could be. I mean, their roster's pretty deep as it is right now anyway. So it literally could be fucking anybody, you know, it could just be anybody. Yeah. Um, like punk. Somebody was missing punk about who he, he who he like is equal to AEW and punk just responded. I think they should focus on who they have right now. I mean, mm-hmm. think about it, yeah, they probably should, because, like, in the last couple of months, they brought in Stein, they brought in Big Show, and now they're announcing somebody else to come in. Like, it feels like well, recently they've been really focusing on, like, oh, look, so-and-so's showed up, or, like, this person's coming in from Impact Wrestling. So, like, you've got quite a deep roster, as, as your Revolution card is clearly showing. So, 
maybe just focus on these people because you, you've got three shows now, like two of them on YouTube, one on TNT, and now Scotty Cannon's saying something about another TNT show to work by the end of 2021. Just like, guys, yeah, just, just stop, would you? Because like, from what I've heard about uh, Elevation, they said like they're going to focus on like more the who and the why, like why these people are here. So I'm assuming it'll uh, be dark at the bottom and then AEW Dark Elevation where you go up, You've been brought in from outside, or you're kind of a stylish, lower card guy. But there in elevation, you're like, let's actually get to know who this person is and see then if they're good enough to be on Dynamite, which I think is a good way of, of maybe doing things. I know I made that joke on the interview with Shane that the uh, the, the title AEW Dark Elevation is like some weird like video game that they should that they would release, like where you work your way up and like a story mode to get to get an AEW contract. But no, I'm interested to see what happens, but. I think about it. Do you know who I think it is? Who? Oh, Big Show. He's trying to, or sorry, Paul White. Which think instead of well, it's the Big Show. Is he, should his intro not be? Oh, it's Paul White. It's Screen, just like that was fine. Uh, so I, I'm sorry. I, I just got home from work, so I was like mid yawn. It had nothing to do with you. It was uh, bad timing on my part. But uh, haha. Uh, it should just be. Oh, it's Paul White, but um, but um. Anywho, um, he's trying to swerve us. He's coming out. He says, "Like I know who it is because he knows who it is because it's his. It's secretly he's got a second contract and he signed his alter ego who shows no mercy, Captain Insano." Oh, dude! If it's cat, if he comes out as Captain Insano with like a like a wig on, I'm gonna lose my mind. <laughs> yeah, because like, the best line in that pro- in that promo was he said to Tony, "You'd known me since I had long hair and a bright future." Yeah, that was that genuinely popped me like out loud. I laughed. That was very funny. Paul White is very funny when he's not, um, I don't know, doing a Netflix show or, you know, like when, um, but then, uh, but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, this weekend, make sure to catch us, uh, uh, for another grapple update just after revolution. We'll be talking about that show and all the surprises that are, uh, are there. Uh, then we got pack and Phoenix just, spanking some dudes john schuyler and d3 they just got destroyed that was it um yeah i thought something happened to the feed i thought is aw dark on yeah yeah for real uh, i definitely felt like a dark match um but then we get the other candidate for best segment in the history of professional wrestling it was the inner circle press conference mjf chris jericho proud and powerful and uh wardlow are all in the ring answering questions. Uh, Conrad Thompson showed up. I was like, hey, cool, it's Conrad. What's up? And then MJF calls him uh, turkey tits, which genuinely, <laughs> genuinely made me, like, bust out laughing. Um, Eric Bischoff is back. I like that Eric Bischoff is still sort of like Jericho's, like, you know, Dinkelberg. You know, he's just sort of like the thorn in the side, you know, the last straw that broke the camel's back at all times, which is always uh, very, very funny. They had the guy who was just on takeover last month Mm -hmm. from barstool sports. The first guy didn't even really see who that was. His mic wasn't working. Didn't really matter. Um, But then the bucks come out after some very funny questions and back and forth. I loved before the bucks came out. I loved that. Whenever Chris Jericho said something like he would say, I'm a seven time champion. And the camera would cut over to MJF and he'd go seven times. And just the the hype man shit. I mean, it just was so good. Their comedy timing together is very, very funny. MJF is still 
one of the best on the mic. Um, and then the Bucks come out and they cut an actual pretty good. I was just telling somebody recently that I don't really dig the Bucks because like their promos aren't very great. They're not really good at like acting and stuff in their matches sort of like hit like one note all the time. And that note is super kick party. Boom, boom, boom. Anyway. Um, and yeah, they come out and they cut this really good prom- promo about, about their father. And then they get their two, uh, shoot lines in, uh, as it's called, you know, you get the MJF line of, uh, well, you'd still be sitting at home, uh, at living at your parents' house, waiting for the Rosie O'Donnell show to call you back. And Chris Jericho gets the, uh, you'd be curtain jerking at the performance center to a resounding, Oh, from the audience. <laughs> once again, the energy is still like through the roof, uh, on this show, uh, at this point. So, um, then of course it all breaks down. There's a bot, there's a bunch of, um, you know, schmoz stuff going on. Then, uh, the good brothers come out and they assist. Okay. Again, I'm going back to, uh, the rundown that I'm reading from and using to help guide me through the show. This is the line that they say. It should be pointed out that the good brothers fully assisted their fellow blizz, biz clizz brothers. What is the biz clizz? Is that bullet club? No, no, just, uh, yeah. I think it's just a bullet club thing. Is it now? I have never heard somebody call it the biz clizz. I think it's a gallows thing because he has weird ways of saying like adding skis to to things at the end of things. So, so like gallows is weird. <laughs> yeah, I whatever. Um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, this whole segment was fantastic. What did you think of the press conference and then the Bucks coming out? All the things. Uh, if anything that I didn't mention stood out, let us know. It was one of the things where like. I heard this is one of the things I heard about going into the show, and I was like, "Didn't they just do this a few months ago before, like Phil Gear, with like people coming up and asking them questions? Is this going to be like their thing every so often?" But you know, both segments so far have been entertaining, so who am I to complain? Uh, again, I'm going back to like Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, otherwise I credit them for this. But someone said, "Like, I'm shocked that between Conrad's question and the answer, there wasn't an advert for Bluetooth in the middle." <laughs> Which, which is which is to say like the late the further you go into the more recent episodes of eighty three weeks, the more fucking ads there are or, or most of like East Corner's podcasts I haven't I don't listen to all of them. The main one I listen to is eighty three weeks. I'm pretty sure he started one with Kurt Angle now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, which should be good. I mean, a chance to check it out. There's too many podcasts out there. But I like that you know you had Eric Bischoff coming back and then the books coming out. I was, I was confused why the, the Good Brothers were helping them because you had this whole thing where they're with Kenny and they're against the Bucks, but then they teamed with them a couple weeks ago. And because the, the Good Brothers have been getting around as, you know, they've they've got the tag title match next week at Sacrifice against Finjus, which should be interesting. Uh, I saw a thing that was going around before the tag title match being Proud and Powerful and Bucks that there was a consideration for, like, Proud and Powerful to win the tag titles uh, and face MGF and Jericho. And to have like a grudge match uh, revolution between the Good Brothers and Bucks, so I actually think for that TBA team and the Tag Battle Royal could end up being the Good Brothers, mm-hmm. which I think would be interesting for them trying to go after the tag titles in AEW and keep the ones that have an impact. Like I think it's between them showing up as a surprise or maybe having Proud and Powerful win the tag team Battle Royal, because to then hopefully it's then maybe if MGF and Jericho win the tag titles. And that continues the story of the inner circle. You know, like they're the ones that most interest me. You also got Pack and uh, and Phoenix, 
as a team. I, I didn't realise that Penta was in the line match again because I haven't seen the last couple of weeks. I legit thought Penta was still injured, and that's why those two were teaming together. Oh yeah, yeah, that does make sense. Um, so the thing, the thing that like stood out to me uh, through this was like how novel of an idea is it that this match is built on there is a clear face and a clear heel and they have a big match coming up where it's uh, sort of a blood feud and look how much more interesting the bucks are just by not dancing around being heels or faces just they have a side they have a they have a match coming up and that's what they're going to do you know you know what i mean like it really it it really just it makes more sense to me that like that that's why this is working better. Do you agree? Yeah, definitely. Because the Bucks aren't as much as big a fan base as they have. There aren't they are not immediately likable because they because so often in their their promos they have those kind of shit uh, lines where they mention like stuff like the PC and the Rosie O'Donnell show, like stuff like that. Big guys past or like like things that they've got fired in their career or whatever and. Because like the time they called time and page a job or an ROH, like sometimes things like that when they're maybe the face don't always work and can kind of make them look like dick, especially given that part of their interest is them having money shot out with their faces on it. So again, yeah. it's not always the most humble faces, but you know, it's nothing, nothing like uh, having your dad get beat up to make you the good guy. And like, because all of, the best thing about that is like call to all like saying like. If you didn't, if you saw Papa Buck and nobody didn't already know he was the young Buck's dad, it would have been so obvious. Yeah, I heard somebody say on another podcast that like, if you've never seen Papa Buck before, and you just sat down with a pen and paper and you just drew what you thought Papa Buck would look like, that's exactly what he looks like. Um, but yeah, I have a I have a, a crazy hack wrestling theory for you. You ready? I, I'm sitting and waiting. Okay, what if the Good Brothers? Helped out their Bizclis brothers. Ugh, I hate that so much. Um, <laughs> they helped out the Young Bucks to get them to dive off the stage uh, through tables, not through Jericho and MJF, but through other members of the inner circle, so it would weaken them to lose the belts to Jericho and MJF. Hmm. That, is, that is intriguing. Especially, like I said, if like girls and Anson show up in the battle royal because like Bird and Powerful are in that battle royal, so they're going to go in there to that weekend. So that's one team that they can easily eliminate if they go in there. Because mm. uh, they've said it's like a casino type battle royal, so I think it'll follow a similar format, and maybe they'll be the surprise like Joker team at the end. That so, does make know, more bit. sense. Yeah. I wonder. Do you think it's going to be one of those type battle royals where like it only needs one member of the team to be eliminated, or I think both need to go out? No, I think they did. Um... They did like a more standard battle royal. What was it like a month or so ago? And it was it had to be both members. Like if one person mm. went out, the other person was still in the battle royal, and then it had to be both uh, members of the team. Yeah, because I don't often like the the ones where it has to be one of them. Like we covered one a couple months ago back at Armageddon '99 on the Retro Review, where at Armageddon '99 with the Accolades one. The only good spot, the only good time that came to play is like it was Matt and Bradshaw went over at the same time. And so they just let the match continue between Furuk and Jeff for a little bit. Yeah. Until Jeff got, like, lodged a few feet in the air to the outside. You always end up having to, um, like, interrupt whatever the other person is doing on the other side of the ring. 
to tell them like, hey, you're eliminated. And it just it always comes off clunky. It's always so awkward. Yeah, it's just clunky and awkward. Um, what wasn't clunky and awkward, though, was a really fantastic uh, women's uh, eliminator tournament final between Rio Mizunami and Nyla Rose. Uh, I had the dread that they were going to have Nyla Rose win here. Not that I don't like Nyla Rose, uh, but we've seen Nyla and Sheeta like 912 times. So like I'm kind of over it. Um, but Rio Mizunami gets the win uh, and we'll meet Sheeta uh, this weekend at Revolution for the women's title. Um, other than like the weird like mime shit she was doing with the rope, like instead of just attacking Nyla Rose, um, which I was just stupid and weird. Um, maybe I just don't get it. I don't know. But like, other than that, I thought this match was really, really fun, really, really hard hitting. Um, these two women just kicked the fucking shit out of each other. And it was really, really fun to watch. And we got a fresh matchup, uh, at the pay-per-view. And, uh, after the match, when, uh, Sheeta gets in the ring to present the trophy to, uh, Mizunami, uh, they shake hands and then hold hands. And then Mizunami attacks Sheeta tells Sheeta to attack her back. She does, and plants Mizunami on her backside. And that's our match for Revolution. So what did you think of the women's uh, Eliminator tournament, uh, tournament final and the announcement of the match? I, I should say, I mean, chef's kiss, by the way, to your, uh, your transition there from the previous bit to this. So I, I commend you for that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Hey. But... I I'm, I'm assuming I think my perspective on this may some people may not like because again I haven't seen any of the matches in this tournament other than this one because I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of AEW in that so excuse me if this is if you don't agree with this opinion but you know look at this tournament the first match in the tournament like happened on like the February 10th on Dynamite and so like a little over a month they kind of rushed through this tournament they could have actually spaced out over a, like a month or a bit maybe two months. If like for like after revolution, but it really feels like they rushed through the the matches, like to get like quickly need a number contender for for Shida. and so they did like the matches. For the US one, they had like four matches one week uh, air on YouTube for the Japanese bracket. There like four the next week or something like that. And like some of the American matches aired on YouTube as well, which part of me thinks like why didn't you just air them as part of Dark and like. They were hyping up the countdown show that was there and after Dynamite and say like, oh, some of the best interviews and all like wrestling. Like, so why don't you air like these matches on Dark, some of them on Dark, like the Japanese ones, well, and do like pre-tape interviews like the CWC or the Mayhem Classic do, like you do, like they do for like their road two shows, so people can get to know some of these people. Because when I saw that the final of uh, the American bracket was Thunder Rosa versus Nyla Rosa, and I saw that Rio went through and the and the Japanese bracket, I thought, just from outside looking at my perspective was, to tell me we've got a choice between either someone from Japan who I don't know a lot about and a lot of Western fans don't know a lot about, or somebody that she does faced already on pay-per-view. And to me, I thought we'd have a better option at the end than that. I thought somebody knew to go through. I was surprised that Burt Baker didn't go further than she did. Uh, sad that Anna Jay got injured and it was going to be out for a little while. So, because I was like, she could have been with a shout, or would like to see me a deep or something like that to go a bit further. But the match itself, I enjoyed, especially because I don't know who this, I don't I haven't seen Rio before this, and you know, Nyla Rose isn't really my favourite on the AEW Women's roster, but 
you know, I was kind of written, written for review because I didn't want to see Nyla versus Shida again. And, you know, I like the match. I like the, the elbow drop across the the apron with to the back of the head and stuff like that. And there's Vicky's reaction to seeing Nyla lose. Well, she's losing her shit. I didn't like the holding hand thing while punching each other. I thought that's that's good if you're doing that as like a match midway through a spot during a match where you're exhausted but you're holding on to each other and just hitting each other. And like it ends with she just down tall and Ryu on the mat looking up at her. Surely it should be the other way in the like Ryu poses with a trophy and knocks Shida to the ground to show like I'm a threat to you and like showing other people that you should buy into this match at Revolution. Again, people might disagree with my vision and if I watch these matches back some of the tournament matches back before the PV I might change my opinion. It's just what I think right now. And I'm hoping this match is more on the scale of being like Thunder Rosa and Shida uh, all out and that's an outsider coming in but they end up having a great match with Shida anyway and less like Rio versus Buddy Emi Sakura where it's two Japanese wrestlers who have history but they don't tell us about it and it ends in a lackluster match. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I got I got pretty high hopes for this after um after seeing the match on uh Dynamite last night. So uh top marks to everybody involved. Hopefully the match doesn't end up sucking. Um next up, uh we got another um sting segment. Uh whatever. I just want to fucking see the match at this point. Like stop calling each other out every week, stop barely doing anything and then running off. I don't even really want to talk about it, to be honest with you, dude. I just want to see the street fight. Yeah, because, like, I heard about the, the spot with Frankie. Like, uh, I seemed like they gave him taking the power bomb. I thought, Jesus, like, that maybe thing isn't is going to do more than we think. And then apparently, I think he had some padding on under his gear. And apparently, it, it took a lot out of him doing that spot. And so then that makes me worried. And then, like, he kind of almost fell over during the Scorpion death drop when, just right before Hook was meant to come in and, uh, like choke him to try and get him off. Not in that way. But <laughs> see, I would have I would have loved that segment. That would have been very interesting. <laughs> Do you think he paints the head of his dick uh white and black? <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 head of the stinger. Uh anyway. Uh so yeah that, that match is happening on Sunday. Hopefully it is a uh cinematic contest as well uh as people were thinking. Max Caster ends up defeating uh ten of the Dark Order. Uh, thanks to help from uh, Jack Evans, who fell from the heavens. Uh, not really. He came out from under the ring and smashed uh, 10 in the head with a boombox that Max Caster brought out with him. Uh, at first, I was just like, did I miss something? Was this on BTE? Was this on the YouTube? No, that's just me being cynical because uh, when uh, Evans gets to the top of the ramp, he is handed an envelope for $4,200 from Big Money Matt Hardy, uh, who vowed to destroy uh, any and all members of the Dark Order to get back at Hangman Adam Page. Uh, it never really got out of first gear for me, but it was cool to see two guys uh, that normally this match would have taken place on Dark having like the sort of like pre-main event sort of spot for that. Um, what did you think of this match? Yeah, it was it was decent. I, I like the idea because it's like the other guys you got in the landmark for Cody, Sky, Penta, Lance Archer. And uh, so now you've got Max in there, and there's still another TBA, so I'm wondering who that might be. Please don't be Sean Spears. That'd be so underwhelming. Yeah, right. But, like, it's like the idea we've got these, like, big names, so first four big names, and then somebody who's not really got this big opportunity yet. So I like the idea of these two going at it. I would have been lying if I said I was, I could help keep my attention focused on the match and not on my phone. 
And yeah, I was like, yeah, I wasn't sure. Like, is this a thing that I don't know about? With uh, Jack Evans getting involved, and then Matt Hardy came out like, ah, that makes that makes a lot more a lot more sense. But uh, I don't. I think I think some people might know this that Matt Scaster actually played one of the sisters in the Bobby Lashley segment a couple of years ago. <laughs> and so I kind of already knew that he won because I saw a, a tweet out there saying that uh, what a big week for Bobby Lashley and his sister. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, the main event was eh overall. Um, yeah, I really think it was. I know that you want to start off hot and get like the viewers in quickly, but surely it's called Crossroads as well. I know you went to the big brawl and everything, but like, surely the Shaq match should have been evented and this should open the show. This felt very arse backwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. like I said, the first, like, you know, hour and a half of the show was like really, really awesome, really, really well done. And then they just sort of petered out because they sort of, um, I, it just, it was, it was fun. It was sporadic. And then it just sort of ended, you know, and then we do have a lot to look forward to at revolution. Uh, I have so, so much, uh, hope that this, uh, show isn't awful, uh, because, uh, some of the, uh, dailies play shows haven't been, I don't know, as good as the other pay-per-views, and I love Revolution. Excuse me, I'm mm-hmm. dying over here. I love Revolution from last year uh, so, so much that I'm um, hoping the second time around the sun uh, is good for Revolution. Uh, also, we saw uh, Atsushi Onita in the promo package leading up to the exploding barbed wire death match between uh, John Moxley and Kenny Omega. Um, are you into this at all? Like This idea of this... Uh, Exploding barbed wire deathmatch. Is this for you? Is it not for you? Do you not give a flying fuck? Uh, where where do you sit on that main event? I, oh hell yeah, I'm, I'm I'm all in on this. Like the, it, it, of course it's these two that are gonna have it. It's shocking that a company like is positioned maybe as the number two or maybe number one, depending on your feelings about WWE, a company in the US or in the world of wrestling is doing exploding barbed wire deathmatch, and I can see like maybe them. Moving everybody who's around the ringside up to the upper decks of the place, along with the fans that are there, uh, for like this for this main event, because obviously they are going to do an exposure and they want to get people as far away as possible. And I do believe there's maybe a way somehow, like with the barbed wire and maybe the exploding, that they're going to try and write John Moxley off for a while, because mm-hmm. obviously Julia have the kids very soon, and uh, I think he is going to have to go back to appear in New Japan soon because they're. Uh, through April, they're going to have the New Japan Cup USA to create a number one contender for his US title because uh, he did manage to retain over Kenta. Much to my surprise, I really thought everything was being set up for Kenta to win mm, the yeah. US title because, like Kevin Kelly said, that Kenta like successfully defended that briefcase like five times since they won it, and so technically he's the most successful US champion without even getting to hold the belt, which is shocking. Yeah! Wow! Wow! And. So yeah, like my anticipation for this match uh, actually far to, to, is like higher than all of the other matches, and something against them is just like the idea of what this could mean is interesting because like we talked about it when they had that uh, unsanctioned match at Full Gear 2019, and that some people thought they went too far. They had some people really grasping them to the athletics commission, and so I want to see how much further they take it here, and how bloody it's actually going to get. Uh, yeah, I hope it does get. Um, I hope it does get bloody. I hope it gets. Uh, you know, 
I hope it gives the people that are looking like really, really looking forward to this um, something to really hold on to um, mm-hmm. because uh, it's it's a big it's a big gamble and um, you know I hope it works out for them. Um, so uh, we we move on to talk about uh, the prophecy has come true. Bobby Lashley is the new WWE champion uh, throughout the show on Raw. He was chasing down Miz. Miz was doing everything he could to try and hold on to the belt. Uh, for one more night, one more day, something. Um, but it was inevitable that uh, Bobby Lashley was going to get his way. And in a lumberjack match at the end of the show, Bobby Lashley just spanks the Miz and <laughs> takes the WWE Championship from him. In uh, what was uh, very entertaining, um, the uh, the Hurt Business is great, but it's good for them, not great for me as somebody who isn't necessarily super into the whole bobby trashley thing and um you know it is what it is but what do you think of uh bobby lashley winning the belt and are you just looking forward to that drew pop at wrestlemania uh yeah i i i like it i love everything about this the uh thing with lashley losing the us title but dog game pin to then go into this i thought was very smart it's a shame that keith lee wasn't in that us title triple threat because i thought i Matt Riddle going to a program with Keith Lee for the US title would have been good, but I, I don't know what's going on with Keith Lee. I think there's reports he's injured, stuff about him being in isolation, or whatever is going on with him. Because, like, if he's in isolation, then surely me him should, but she was on Raw, a road retribution segment, I don't know what's going on. But, yeah, like, a lot of people are, yeah, don't like the idea of the flip-flopping of the title and everything, but, like, using the heel to transition to, onto another big champion... Like, he's been using that since the 80s. They did that with the Sheik before Hogan won the title. So I don't mind Miz's title being that short, even though, like, I do think he's capable of a long heel reign that is entertaining. But, like, the way I of him trying to get out of the match with Lashley before just being murdered and just ragdolled with the, the heart lock. I, I don't agree with people who said that Drew looked weak or uh, when he lost the title the way he did and everything. Like, oh, they built him up as a unstoppable. Like, yeah, he went through a fucking chamber match and got beat up by Bobby Lashley, who has a better MMA record than Brock Lesnar, who drew beat for the title. And then Miz came out and attacked him. And like Lashley attacked the head and neck of Drew, and then Miz hit the skull crushing finale, which focuses on the head and neck, and he lost the title. But like he didn't just like lose that easily. And then Drew had that a really good match with with Drew with Sheamus, where they just battered each other. Uh, which actually made me think maybe that maybe them two at WrestleMania would have been a good match, but I'm into Lashley versus Drew at WrestleMania. You know, maybe Drew will face Miz and some sort of number one contender thing at Fastlane, which makes gives them a, a big match to promote for Fastlane, and then you just go straight to Lashley versus Drew, which I hope goes longer than Drew's like match with Lesnar last year, and I hope it's more like the match with Sheamus that we got on Raw, where just let Drew and Lashley have 15 minutes. Whether or not you want to put it in the main event at one night or not, it doesn't matter. As long as there's fans there to see Drew batter like Bobby Lashley and win the title back and get a pop also for it. And the idea of that he would be like a three-time champion in just over a year. I mean, like his promo on Raw was like I really like resonated with because like he's like I carried the WWE title. I won the title for a nobody in the performance center. I carried this company through a pandemic into the Thunderdome, and I'm in your bit. I'll be damned if I'm not going to go into WWE. I'm not going to go into WrestleMania and be part of the WWE title picture. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely sometimes um, you don't want questions. Sometimes you just want to see a simple story put out in front of you. And I think this is good for Lashley. He's worked really hard for 16 years. So good for him. Good for MVP. I mean, MVP has done really, really good things. Him slipping in a bullshit on Raw on Monday was really, really fun. Uh, it sort of felt like the... Also, like uh, somebody pointed out, well, I've seen it, but I already, I kind of remembered it. But uh, in the feud between Drew and Lashley back at Backlash, MVP said, "Like I knew when you won that title, I would play a role in the outcome." And then he made a deal with Miz for Lashley helping cash in. So MVP all, all along did end up playing a role in, in Drew McIntyre losing the WWE title, which I like that little touch. I know it probably wasn't planned by WWE, but it's one of those little things that I like. And like, I'm glad that there is actually a big story with a WWE title that's actually I'm invested in going into WrestleMania because for the last few weeks I've not really known what WWE are going to do with the WWE title or the Raw Women's title. I'm still not sure about the Raw Women's title. But like, I think the consequence of SmackDown being so entertaining the last couple of months is that we care more about their Women's title and their top title. And it became really obvious that the two Rumors are going to go for their titles and make you think, what the hell is going to happen with Raw's top titles? I mean, it is good to have questions moving into the biggest show of the WWE calendar. And with a big, big WrestleMania week planned, the Mm -hmm. sky is the limit. The only day off, the only day you get to breathe, ladies and gentlemen, that week is Tuesday uh, because there will be nothing on. It'll be Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. uh, All with shows. You got Raw on Monday, NXT and then TakeOver on on Thursday then SmackDown, and then, of course, WrestleMania nights one and two. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a big week. It's going to be a lot of content. It's going to be a lot of uh, grapple updates. So make sure to pay attention to all of that. And before we say goodbye, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have to run down quickly the card from Pro Wrestling Magic's, uh, you know, and this isn't, you know, this isn't, um, favoritism nepotism whatever it is um i you know i was there i called the show so you know i will have very little to say that i didn't get to say on the table but i'm going to defer to scott for a lot of these i'm just going to run down the card with you guys and we're going to spoil the fuck out of pro wrestling magics the roaring 20s two behind the eight ball which took place last week uh over on fight the replay is still available so even though we were about to run it down Please go and check it out. It is only $9.99. The show opens up with a really fantastic promo from the Meadowlands Monster. Before we get into the uh, opening contest of the show, what did you think of the uh, pre-taped interview with the brand new Pro Wrestling Magic heavyweight champion, the Meadowlands Monster? Yeah, I really thought it was good. It really just like you went straight into the promo, and I liked the the new look of the belt. I was like, he did that himself, I believe. And like, because like the Pro strap, title strap is more just white with the gold, and he's added a bit of black into it as well. I really like that kind of look to it. So, you know, he's he made it kind of his own. And I was shocked that we, we started off with the, the world like title on the line. Because, like, I knew obviously the women's title was going to be a bit, but I didn't think the world title would be that early in the show. And also that it went as short as it did. Uh, so the. Uh, the opening contest that you're alluding to is for the Pro Wrestling Magic Championship. Meadowlands Monster defends against the longest reigning champion, the only Pro Wrestling Magic Junior Heavyweight Champion in history, Sebastian Cage, with 
his uh, manager who who uh, we are very lucky when he decides to show up, uh, Miambe uh, Miguel Sosa, a.k.a. White Henny, back in the building. I love White Henny. I love him so much. Um, so Sebastian Cage versus the Meadowlands Monster went about three minutes bell to bell. Uh, Sebastian Cage has not taken a pinfall loss oof, in a long time, uh, especially in a title match. Uh, so, yeah, it went pretty short. But uh, what would you think of the match overall? I really enjoyed it. You know, part of me wishes it could have gone a bit longer because I'm a fan of Meadowlands Monster. We have a really good interview with him. Sebastian Cage, from what I've seen, is really talented. And, you know, I think he's a guy who's going to get snapped up by a major company you know, at some point in the next year or two. And, like, I'd really like to get a chance to talk to him if we get to, a chance to do more interviews with Pro Wrestling Magic. But then, like, the shock of, like, oh, just, like, because I had, like, just sent a tweet. I was live tweeting during the show. And I'd sent one out, like, I was a few things before the finish happened because, like, that was, like, the, the uh, old school and kind of a blockbuster kind of move. Like, I was just going over the shock of that. And then just when I seen that was the finish, I'm like, oh, uh, and I should also give a shout out to the, the black and white aesthetic, by the way, of the entire show was really unique. And I like that, that that made the show like stand out the whole white roaring twenties feel. Yeah. Yeah. We continued, we continued the tradition again this year from the last year. Uh, we have the roaring twenties one on uh, youtube.com forward slash pro wrestling magic. Uh, that show is also in black and white uh, and it has a really fantastic card. Um, then we went into the vault, uh, where we had a five-way match for the Pro Wrestling Magic Dark Arts Championship um, from a couple of years ago, as Payne defended against AEW's Sunny Kiss, Solo Darling, the Mayor of Scumbag City, John Tella, and Tony Rush. Uh, what'd you think of uh, this uh, classic five-way scramble that went about like twenty minutes? Yeah, it was a really key match to kind of keep up with because, like, you got like Sunny Kiss and Solo Darling in the ring, and it gets up to the stage where. Uh, they've got guys doing the dives off like this little stage area, and like Adam Payne just looks like a absolute fucking beast <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. in the match, uh, and just like going through everybody like Sunny Kiss made me think like Jesus, he's not really used as much on AEW as he should be. Uh, just watch him in that match. Uh, but the thing I'm, I'm mostly going, I tweeted this out, and I got a lot of people kind of like uh, all got all interaction on the tweet. So I'm assuming a lot of people agree with me, but like. I watched uh, this match and saw this is obviously a, a, from the vault match, so it was a bigger crowd there because it's pre-COVID. And I just watched it like, wow, I really missed going to indie shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we cram as many people as we can, socially distance, obviously, uh, into the Magic Kingdom as of late. Um, but it, it um, yeah, we definitely want to get our full crowds back because we had uh, quite the packed house for the last couple shows. And uh, just before this match, um, we cut to the commentary table where uh, I'm setting up the rest of the evening and uh, somebody uh, walks by the table, drops off a note to my commentary partner at that time, Mr. Anthony Ivino, the head of the board of investors. Uh, and on the paper that he is given uh, is just the phrase, beware the Ides of March. Uh, so then Anthony Lee gets up and leaves the table. We go to the, uh, the vault match. And when we come back, it is me, Mr. Carl Vanderbeek and Ms. Sam Laterna. Uh, who you can go and see over on Fightful, giving her predictions for uh, Revolution this weekend. So good for Miss Ms. Laterna. Always good to see good things happen to good, good people. Um, and then we move on to a current Pro Wrestling Magic Dark Arch Championship match where the brand new champion with the brand new set of rules, Mr. Darius Carter, takes on 
Billy Dixon, the business. Uh, and uh, this was the first match to take place under the new set of rules that I call the Carter Clause, uh, where there are five three-minute rounds, uh, 15-second rest periods in between. Uh, the old rules still apply of uh, closed fist punches the head are legal. There are no disqualifications and no countouts. Um, so this was the first time Darius was able to defend his title. We had a fantastic interview with Mr. Carter. It is like every time you sit down and talk to uh, Darius Carter, it is completely, completely different. And it was a fantastic sit down interview that, um, Scott and I got to do with Mr. Darius Carter. And we hope to have him on again, uh, considering he does pick up the win over Billy Dixon in round the very beginning of round four after hitting a Yakuza kick to the back of the head, in the corner, and rolling up Billy for the win. What did you think of the Pro Wrestling Magic Dark Arts Championship match uh, in the modern day? Uh, I must say, I did get a little bit of a chuckle about uh, uh, Billy being the Chocolate City champion, because like, I forgot that we kind of talked about that as part of Eric Lee's interview, but this was the match that I think I was most looking forward to from like, a wrestling standpoint because of the new rules and Getting to talk with Darius to get his point of view about uh, like wrestling, and he's clearly he's clearly like a student of the game. Uh, to use like a phrase that gets used a lot, but honestly, wrestling clinic this match, and like Darius just jumping belly, even if it, whether he's ready or not. Like as soon as the fifteen minutes were up, and like at the end of the second round, tying he's getting that figure four around the the post and using all of the available seconds that were left right as the second round ends. So you can immediately target that in the, in the third round, which just like, nah, shifts kiss, you know, liquid takers, as they say in Kodolik and other places. But I, I'm a fan, I've become a big fan of Darius in such a short amount of time. And I long may his reign continue, even though I was very angry at him later on. <laughs> yes, yes. And we will get to that in a moment. Uh, next up is uh, potentially. The greatest thing that we've ever done at Pro Wrestling Magic, and I say that with no hyperbole, it is a test of survival as the 175-pound Chris Ryan takes on the over 300-pound um, one half of the Pro Wrestling Magic World Tag Team Champions, Wrecking Ball Ligurski. If Chris Ryan lasts longer than five minutes, he can choose his partner to join him at uh, our next show, The Ides of March. Hint, hint. Uh, to challenge for the tag team championships, which Chris tried to get I- involved with with Payne, but Payne was then given Wrecking Ball Ligurski as a partner, and now they are the tag champions. This match goes an astounding five minutes and two seconds to the delight of not only us at the, comment- the commentation station, but everybody in attendance. Uh, Shane was Shane Fair, our ring announcer, who also we had uh, a glorious interview with, uh, was very surprised as well. Uh, his exact words were, oh, you got to be kidding me. Um, five minutes and two seconds was the uh, this match. It was um, it was very interesting to, to watch. And the fact that Chris Ryan survived is still something that makes me like so happy with uh, so, so filled up with emotion uh, just because it was so much fun to watch. Uh, what did you think of the test of survival here? I love that. You know, I sent a tweet out right at the start of it saying, uh, let's all collectively pray for Chris <laughs> Ryan. And I then said the most appropriate tweet I could send uh, from the sentence, the stuff he's already dead uh, gif, which was very appropriate. But, you know, Chris won and he got pinned by 
Wrecking Ball, but then after the announcement time, it was five minutes and two seconds. I literally shouted, he did it! And it's just me with my computer watching the show. Uh, you know, I, I was rooting for him. You know, he, he did, quote, retreat me saying that the praying worked. So, you know, glad I could be there for you, pal. Uh, and, you know, it was good to see him get a win over Miley Cyrus' favorite wrestler, Wrecking Ball. Yeah, I mean, Miley Cyrus does enter buildings like Mr. Ligurski, so it is always entertaining to check out uh, when he is in there. Um, I happen to be in the room as uh, they uh, started to, uh, you know, get into it with one another and the challenge was laid down. So, you know, it is it was very entertaining to see, definitely. And um, yeah, it was just a big, big, big day. Uh, for Chris Ryan and uh, you know we're just going to have to see next month at the Ides of March uh, exactly what goes down um, between Wrecking Ball, Payne and uh, Chris and his tag team partner. Uh, It's going to be very uh, interesting to see if uh, Chris Ryan can actually win the tag titles from Ball Payne um, which is what I call them and I will not be I will not be told otherwise uh, until I'll be careful of Ball Payne you know it really sucks. Uh, I said during Kingdom Come 5 that we should just go full tilt and call them um, testicular torsion. So there's that. Um, or t- excuse me. testicular fortitude. Oh, testicular fortitude, obviously. Um, so uh, Dream Master versus the former Prince Josiah, J. Josiah Hiru, uh, in another match that sort of um, continues the tradition of bringing up... Um, you know, underutilized talent from from training and from uh, pre-match shows onto the main card on a pay-per-view to give them some time. What did you think of uh, Jay, uh, the Dream Master versus Jay Hiru? I'll be honest, I, I, will, uh, I think I'm less familiar with these two than I was anybody else so far on the show, so it, it wasn't as easy for me to get into the match. I think I used, kind of used this as kind of a time for me to kind of you know, take a bit of a breather, because like, even the vault match was like chaotic and there was a lot of stuff happening in the three matches that happened like in the current day like it took me a while to get come down so unfortunately i don't think i gave as much the attention that i deserved but you know well done for josiah getting the win i did say that the dream master sounds like a a nightmare on elm street sequel yeah definitely um and then um arguably again one of one of the highlights of the evening um, Ace Romero versus TJ Crawford actually absolutely blew the roof off the building. TJ Crawford always putting in fantastic performances, but again, was unable to get the victory against Impact's own Ace Romero. Um, I mean, I could just go on for days about how much I loved this contest. Uh, I do go on pretty vividly on commentary about how much I am enjoying that match. And the fact that uh, Ace Romero is my commentary partner, uh, for most of the March show, we do get Ace Romero back on commentary for the Ides of March, ladies and gentlemen. It is hashtag three men in a bottle part two uh, for the Ides of March. So please be aware of that. Also, the Salmon Jacket makes its grand entrance on fight next month. But uh, what did you think of Ace Romero versus TJ Crawford? <laughs> I'm having the greatest theme song in the history of wrestling, ladies and gentlemen. We'll have to oh, close the show with it. Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh, I was going to try and see, like, I'm sure there's a song called Crossroads I can use at the end of this because of AEW, but I thought, no, this is way better. No, way it's, better. it's Ace Romero. It's the Ace Romero's theme. <laughs> Definitely. 
uh, it was very similar to the match with Casey Navarro from uh, from a month or so ago, where poor TJ just got absolutely killed. But you know, he gave a great count of himself. But you know, I was rooting for AC the whole time. Sixty percent, maybe seventy percent, because of the theme song. <laughs> And also, Ace is just a fantastic wrestler, and he is the king of the open challenges. TJ Crawford, to his credit, did not waste any time uh, before accepting the challenge, and he put up the big fight feel, the big fight that you want to see out of a competitor like TJ Crawford. So hopefully TJ can get a win somewhere down the road to start his winning ways back up in the kingdom, but that night was not his. Um, Next up, we had uh, in the... Pre-main event, we had a little bit of tag team action uh, as the American Murder Society took on the Brick City Boys. Uh, that went to a double countout because these guys have been all over each other since the American Murder Society during the pandemic called out all of tag team wrestling. All of it. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter who you are. The American Murder Society called out all of tag team wrestling. The Brick City Boys took exception to that, uh, being on the rise themselves. And they battled all throughout the arena, all the way to the back, and got themselves counted out. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see where this goes from here. So what did you think of the pre-main event? I I was looking forward to it. Like I talked about it on uh, the preview we did with Shane. That I was thinking that maybe Brixie Boys would get the win. You know, maybe that was some new contenders in the tag division. But uh, it's kind of sad that it, you know, it, it ended in a double count the way it did. So I was... You know, I was hoping for more for more from the, the match, like for in terms of the finish. But, you know, if at least a rematch where we get a clear finish, uh, I'm looking forward to it because you know both teams look solid from what I've seen of them. Absolutely, and then of course, uh, I got to sit back and just watch this this match as a spectator because Sam Laterna and Brittany from Go Pro Wrestling took over on the table for the vacant Pro Wrestling Magic Women's Championship title match. Uh, to close the show, it was that 90s chick, Erica Lee, versus the submission sniper, Jordan Blade. And due to shenanigans, as they are referred to in the business, Mr. Darius Carter came down to ringside to distract Erica Lee. And Jordan Blade was able to pick up the win over Erica Lee and become the brand new Pro Wrestling Magic Women's Champion. Uh, things did not go well. Uh, later on in the evening after um, the Roaring Twenties as Darius Carter was backstage uh, having an interview conducted uh, with him. Uh, Erica Lee barged in, screaming and yelling, and we will get Erica Lee versus Darius Carter 2 next month at the Ides of March uh, for the Dark Arts Championship uh, with all those new rules and everything. And after what happened to Card Subject to Change, it will be an absolute... Barn burner, believe me, ladies and gentlemen. But for now, we're here to talk about the women's championship match where Erica Lee took on Jordan Blade. So, what do you think, Mister McLeod? Oh, I, uh, I really had a lot of thoughts about the finish because you know I didn't want to discount Jordan Blade, but I also didn't want Nathan to be right because he went with her because of the Blade's connection, and also you know, you know, Erica Lee is a fellow future file like myself, uh, and so I thought she would get the win. Uh, we'd all have a celebratory glass of sherry to toast our victory. And it was a solid match. I firmly I agree with them being in the main event, given what was on the line. And also the competitiveness between the two they faced before. And she really talked about their history in our interview. And I know it also furthers the, the story, but it, it shows me how invested I've gotten in Pro Wrestling Magic in such a short time that I went from 
that has been one of my favorites to like damn you Darius <laughs> like no not this way yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the way you want to see uh, a big-time main event end. But uh, Darius Carter has his own plans. Uh, it's Darius Carter's game, and we're all just sort of playing it, as as he has shown many, many times. Yeah, and also I'll be looking, into, I'll be looking forward to the eyes of Mark because, honestly, to see who Chris Ryan gets as his partner, who what happens between Erica and uh, Darius, because we talked about the possibility of that happening whether or not she wants out with a title or not. But, you know, it would be interesting to see if her, her going in as women's champion to go after the Dark Arts title. But, you know, I want to see how Erica does in the uh, with these new rules that uh, Darius has implemented. I think she could really go, like, the distance in those type, that type of match. But, uh, anyway, I've been on Twitter. I don't mean to veer, like, veer too far away, but I saw a thing on Twitter just a second ago uh, about a match that's been announced for Fastlane. Okay. I'm going to send it to you in Facebook Messenger. I want to get your immediate reaction to when you see it, so I'm sending it to you in now. Okay, so I have the window open here, and it is... Are you kidding me? Fucking really? Yeah. Really? really. So, ladies and gentlemen, they've announced that at Fastlane, Nia Jax Chevy will defend the women's title titles against Sasha and Bianca again. I mean, putting more credibility to my thing that maybe Sasha and Bianca should have just won the elimination chamber in the first place. I, I I don't know. I mean, this is so stupid. This is so dumb. Like, why couldn't we just have Raquel and Dakota win the belts and then we figure it out from there? Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't even know anymore. And like, they're even less gonna win this because like. The idea of having Fastly in the first place, I'm against because I have it on the 21st of March, which gives you less than three weeks until Mania after that. And so, like, you've got Roman versus Daniel Bryan, which like, usually I'd be all for, but, like, even though they're going to get more of a match than they go at Chamber, Bryan's not going to win. As much as people would like to think that, but Bryan's not going to win. They really need to be focusing on Edge versus Roman right now and not having people going at Spiegel and, oh, it's again the triple there, or maybe it'll be Bryan versus Edge. Like, no. Focus on Edge versus Roman. That's a good match, I think. That's a good story there. And just focus on that. Stop trying to... Like, just because Peacock, that's the whole thing of a Fastlane. Because of fucking Peacock. Yeah. Yeah. That's really what it is. And... Uh, I, don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm not exactly looking forward to that one. Uh, and it doesn't sound like you are either. So, um, no, I'm looking forward to Ides of March. I'm looking yes, forward to Fastlane. And I'm glad that you said that because I was just actually going to get back to that. Uh, March 20th at 8 p.m. only on Fight, sponsored by the Bob Culture Podcast. Um, and Ace Romero is joining the commentary team. We will have uh, the Meadowlands Monster defending his Pro Wrestling Magic World title against Saeed Al-Sabah, who attacked him. Uh, just after the match with uh, Sebastian Cage, uh, the match is fantastic. I was I was there, uh, and it was awesome. And then, of course, Erica Lee takes on Darius Carter. The tag team title match will be uh, fantastic as well. Um, Sebastian Cage will be in action defending the Pro Wrestling Magic Junior Heavyweight Champion as he approaches nearly two years, ladies and gentlemen, two 
years as pro wrestling magic uh junior heavyweight champion so it is good times all around good times to be had in the pro wrestling magic kingdom and we've had some fantastic times here on the rogue opinions podcast for the day um so scott why don't you tell everybody what you got going on real quick so we can get the fuck up out of here uh, i should say yeah you said the 20th of march so yeah you got rides of march and then fast the next day so let us know if you want to both shows which one you preferred but mm-hmm. you can follow me on Twitter at episode1996. Uh, follow Scott and Paul around the podcast at SP Rambling, where we have 12 reviews finally up. And you can also check out some uh, Frasier related content that we're going to have very soon that uh, I hope our good friend Erica Lee checks out. Uh, and eat, eat Sleep Super Street at Suplex Retreat. You know, you've got that busy week of, of wrestling. I like literally the, sun, the, the Sunday before WrestleMania to add on to my schedule because I do a a show called East Meets West, which covers everything going on in New Japan. We have Sakura Genesis in April as well. So, you know, so much, so much bloody wrestling. But, you know, there's all sorts of great shows going on at ESSR. We've got a feature show that came out recently about the third season of Glow. We've got one next week about Edge and the one the following week that chronicles the final year of WCW from the reboot Nitro up until the simulcast. God, we we talked about a lot of shit in that hour. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, as, as well as also Rogue Opinions, uh, your Rogue underscore Opinions, the DC tournament that we talked about, we're going to hopefully do the next stage in the tournament brackets to uh, decide the greatest comic book movie tournament of all time. Rogue Retro Smackdown, a uh, new episode should be out on Sunday, and hopefully we're keeping it very regular in the next couple of weeks. We're all talking about getting all the people onto the uh, revolution. We've got, we've got five episodes of Smackdown on the road to WrestleMania 2000, which is also the mentality of get everybody on the bloody card. So, and I'm looking to debut a, a new. We have uh, some developments about in terms of my co-hosts uh, about Robert Smith interview on the next episode. So stay tuned for that. Always a lot going on in Scott McCloud's universe. Also a lot going on here at Rogue Opinion. Obviously, as we said, we got all the interviews last week uh, leading up to uh, the Roaring Twenties Two behind the eight ball. That is rogue underscore opinion wherever you get your podcasts and on twitter uh also don't forget youtube.com forward slash pro wrestling magic uh instagram pro wrestling magic twitter at wrestling magic for all of your pro wrestling magic needs wants and desires and then also go over to fight and order our shows that are over there we have three up there as of right now everything else is over on the youtube channel and then, of course, I'm at Mr. Riot on the Twitter. That is M-R-R-I-0-T. Because Counter-Strike was a thing when I was a kid. Matt Striker, still looking at you, buddy. Still looking. Um, and Get uh, over it. He's not uh, writing you back. Dear Matt, I wrote you, but you still ain't calling. Uh, Any hoozle, uh, make sure that you guys continue to check back in here with us at the Rogue Opinions Podcast. But for now, because it is getting later and later in the UK, I can only say one last thing from the immortal Yakko Warner, and that is... Good night, everybody. Josie's on a vacation far away Come around and talk it over So many things that I want to say You know I like my girls a little bit older I just want to use your love tonight No way.
Just continue.